0: Welcome to Piano Writers for Works. My name is Holly Harland and in today's episode is Berlioz, the Non-Pianist. So today's episode is a little bit different to previous episodes, with it being that the person that we're going to be talking about is neither trained as a pianist, and nor has created many pianist works. To many who listen to the podcast on a regular basis will know that this entire creation is dedicated to piano because obviously I'm a pianist, trained classically, and this episode probably is contradicting to what I'm trying to do with the podcast. However, I cannot leave him out due to his links to piano and his contribution because it really sets up the next pianist that we will talk about in series three. If you don't follow my social media channels, this is the last episode of series two. It has been great creating the second series, started it in January. We're now beginning of March and we have gained more followers than we have from the previous time and we still haven't even got to our first year. And I'm very grateful to everyone that listens in the world and continues to listen and will continue to grow. The reason I've decided to stop now is because I like to implement some changes for personal reasons and grow for the podcast. That will come When the release of Series 3 happened, which won't be too long, I just need a bit of a breather and readjust to what will be the podcast. Anyways, we will continue with today's episode, which is Hector Berlioz. Louis Hector Berlioz, known as Hector Berlioz, was born on the 11th of December 1803. La Côte Saint-André in France. He was born into war during the Napoleon War. The schools were disrupted so he received his first sort of education from his father who was an enlightened and cultivated vision who gave Berlioz his first music lesson. Unlike other musicians in previous episodes, Berlioz did not receive formal musical training. He learned music himself, working out harmony, and by the age of 12 was composing local chamber music groups. With the help of the performers, he learned flute and guitar and became a virtuoso. In 1821, his father sent him to Paris to study medicine, and he received a degree in science. Whilst in Paris, He dedicated his time going to the Paris Opera, studying scores and the whole repertoire, learning them by ear. He knew his path was music and convinced Jean-François Luzois, professor of composition at the Paris Conservatoire, to be one of his pupils. Berlioz was not as good as convincing his parents as disagreements lasted over eight years of his life. This did not stop him studying at the Conservatoire, and in 1830 he won the Prix de Rome, having received second prize in an earlier competition. Unfortunately, the clause of the Prix de Rome required the winner to study in Rome for two years. Therefore, just as he was gaining recognition in Paris, he had to leave the city. Whilst in Rome, he was put up at the French Academy in the Villa Medici, However, he found the city distasteful, and therefore took every opportunity to go out of the city, enjoying the countryside. One of Berlioz's favourite ideas was that music should be combined with literature. His fascination with literature was fed by productions of Shakespeare's plays that were touring in Paris, and he developed a massive crush on Harriet Smith, the star of these productions. He utterly failed to attract Harriet's interest, possibly because he bombarded her with creepy love letters rather than introducing himself. He sent her numerous love letters, all of which were not answered. He wrote the Symphonie Fantastique as a way to express his unreciprocated love. It premiered in Paris on the 5th of December 1830, when Harriet was not present. She eventually heard the work in 1832 and realised it's genius. The two finally met, having returned to Paris, and they remarried on the 3rd of October, 1833. Their marriage became increasingly bitter, and eventually they separated after several years of unhappiness. Berlioz still had to depend on music criticism, as well as other writing works for his income. As a way out, he decided to go on musical tours. Concurrently, he also gained recognition as a writer, and in January 1844 had Grand instrumentation d'Instrumentation et Orchestration modernes published. In November 1847, after a four-month visit to Russia, he embarked on a seven-month tour of England, where he was appointed conductor of the Theatre Royal, Jury Lane was also the time when he started writing his memoirs. In 1850, Hector Berlioz became head librarian at the Paris Conservatoire and with that his financial woes came to an end. It was the only official post he would ever hold. He kept on writing new compositions and also continued with his tours where he was enthusiastically received. On the 8th of March 1869, at the age of 65, he passed away in Paris. It is unknown what was the cause of his death, however, he had been suffering from intestinal diseases, which often cause acute pain. Hector Berlioz turned his back on a career in medicine to follow his passion for music, and went on to compose works that showcase the innovations and search for expression that really pinpoints Romanticism. His well-known pieces include the Symphonie Fantastique and Grand messe de Maude. He also composed around 50 songs. His influence was critical for further development of the Romanticism, especially in composers like Varna, Rimsie Korsakoff, Liszt, Strauss, Mahler, and many others. Although he was not a pianist, having mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, neither a composer of the instrument, yet he had a very big connection with Steinway pianos. So for those who don't know, Steinway & Sons was founded in Manhattan in 1853. It's one of the biggest brands of pianos alongside Yamaha, Kawai, Casio in creating what is the modern piano. Berlioz ended up being connected to Steinway um, at the Paris Exhibition of 1867. He became a great friend to the company when it was trying to branch into the European market. Berlioz was very impressed with Steinway's instruments, calling them magnificent and writing about their beauty and work qualities and noble tone. It's almost a today's use of marketing and influencing, where you have a Particular person using a particular brand to produce sales at a time when you're not known. So in this case, Berlioz had used Steinway at his exhibition at a time where he was considered popular. From the information that is produced. Berlioz was definitely recognized compared to some other pianists and musicians at that time, but wasn't mainstream, I guess, if you were looking for a particular word. So to have that connection before taking off into the European market would have helped Steinway in so many ways, because without you know, people using their products, we wouldn't still be using them today. So as Berlioz was not a pianist and didn't really produce many pianist works, we will be analysing some of the Symphony Fantastique. It is a programme symphony that tells the story of a gifted artist with a lively imagination who has poisoned himself with opium in the depths of despair due to his unreciprocated love. Now, from my perspective, that is just so over the top to bring yourself to complete, to new standards of desperation due to love. And, you know, those were the times, you know, and that's it's one of the, you know, sort of links to romanticism, you know, in, in literature and stuff of that, dramatic least um, Elizabethan style characterization of, oh, help me, kind of thing, hear me out. I think the symphony really helped his career because it, it lived up to its name. If it had been a dull and dreadful, with the title of fantastic. It probably would not have made history, you know, that sort of anticlimax climax of this is great and it will be great and find out it isn't. The score calls for a total of over 90 instruments, the most of any symphony written to that time. So there was a great, um, development uh, between classicism and the romanticism, uh, due to development of instrumentation um, in all families, you know, percussion with the piano, development into what we know today, um, more in the strings, you know, uh, use of all, you know, ranges, and to be one of the pieces at that time to be to have so many people involved would have been so exhausting I would say for someone that hadn't done it before you know to be the first of having such you know to lead so many people um, to create your own work without any help is a big achievement for him so it had two flutes one doubling piccolo two oboes, one doubling core anglais, two soprano clarinets, one doubling E-flat and four bassoons, four horns, two cornets, two trumpets, three trombones, alto, tenor and bass, two tubers, two pairs of timpani cymbals, suspended cymbal, tenor drum, bass drum, bells, sounding C and G, two harps, With the strings he was very specific with at least 15 first violins, 15 second violins, 10 violas, 11 celli and 9 basses on the score. Instead of the four movements which had been conventional in the late classical symphony, the symphony fantastique has five. The titles for each movement were given by Berlioz, the first being Passions, second, a ball, third, "Scene in the Fields, four, March to the Scaffold, and five, Dream of the Night of the Sabbath. One of the striking new influences to music from the Romantic era is the use of program notes. For each movement, Berlioz has created a story each individual movement, with the title reflecting the mood and atmosphere, it seems to become more doom and gloom, with the fourth movement, the notes being one of my favourites, um, which is, it starts off with, convinced that his love is appreciated, the artist poisons himself with opium. That's, you know, something really out there you know and it's not even the end of the symphony it goes on for another movement though loosely based on sonata form the symphony fantastique is unified by berlioz's use of the id fixe berlioz used this term to describe the recurring theme that represents his love and obsession for harriet smithson the theme recurs throughout the work often adapted to suit the mood and key of the music, in a similar way to how Wagner would go on to treat his uh, leitmotifs. The original and full statement of the ID Fixe is found in bars 72-111 to 111 in the first movement of the Symphony Fantastique. It's, it sort of arises and is used it's very key and prominent in the Obviously, with um, us discussing Berlioz you know, not being a pianist and discussing Symphony Fantastique, I have mentioned that there is a connections to piano, and obviously the previous mentioning of his links to Steinway and Sons, but also being admired by one of best romantic pianists. Franz Liszt, Berlioz inspired Liszt during his time being alive that, as a good person he seems to be, for many other mi- pianists or musicians that he has come across, he transcribed Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique and published it and many have said if Liszt hadn't done that it might have not have been well known as it is today i have ended this episode with the clip of the transcribed to the piano of the symphony it's only going to be a short section but obviously with it being piano writers works I would not have done Berlioz if I could not find information to give. And I think it's really important to learn about others, especially what they can bring to the table, even if they are not a pianist. As I said, this will be the last episode of series two, and I hope you have all enjoyed this series and look forward to series 3. Thank you all for listening to Piano Writers and Works. Don't forget to follow on social media at hrh.music on Instagram and TikTok to get the exclusive behind the scenes. See you all in the next episode. Bye.